game. Oh. <laughs> I think I missed him. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later, let's play global thermonuclear war. Fine. <laughs> All right. Which side do you want? I'll be the Russians. <laughs> Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Chuck Goes to the Movies, where we talk about different films or filmmakers that impact our lives or influence our love for movies. And today is a special episode. Ladies and gentlemen, y'all are listening to something that I honestly didn't think was ever going to happen. My mom's here. <laughs> Hello. This is my mom, Karen Norris. So, hey, you've you've met my brother. You've heard his voice. You haven't actually met him. You've heard his voice, and now you get to hear my mom's voice, and maybe somewhere down the line, dad will be on here at some point. But she's here, and we're going to be talking about a movie that means the world to me. I don't want to give away too much before we get to the section where we talk about how this movie has influenced our lives or impacted our love for other movies, but this movie it means the world for me. It holds a special place in my movie heart, and I know it does for her as well. So we are talking war games. For many different reasons. Yes, many different reasons. That's right. Uh, and we'll we'll dive into that here in a little bit, but before we really get started into the episode, I have... The question of the episode, are you ready? Oh, I am. All right. If you if you think you are, your question is, what is your favorite Matthew Broderick movie and you cannot choose war games? Uh, oh, I stumped you. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to be perfectly honest with you about that. I have never seen another Matthew Broderick movie. Yes, you have. You've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You've nope. seen. You've never seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nope. You've never seen I the haven't. producers. I've always wanted to, but no, I haven't. You've. Uh, uh, people. I know. I know. You could just take me off the air right now. You know. What can I say? You know. Okay, all right, all right. For the sake of giving you the opportunity to answer a question on the show, I will change okay. the question a little bit. What is your favorite Ali Sheedy movie? And for the love of God, you better name one. Well, of course, although she's not one of my favorite actresses. Get off my show. But <laughs> I have to say Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club is a classic. Cannot deny that. I would honestly have to say Short Circuit. Oh, that's a good one. St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, another good one. See? Uh Ali Sheedy pops up in things. And she's she's a decent actress. She's not like Oscar worthy, I would say, but she's a decent actress. Well, then you're going to hate what I'm going to say in a little while then. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Um... My answer for the Matthew Broderick uh, portion of that question are the two movies I named to you trying to get you to admit you've seen another Matthew Broderick movie. It's a tie between (laughs) Ferris Bueller's Day Off 
and the producers because I, <laughs> as stupid as the producers is, I love that movie. It makes me laugh hysteria. It's like the Birdcage. It's just one of those ridiculously funny movies that you well, just get and, caught and, up in, know, and by the time it ends, you're just like, I didn't gain Nate, anything from this, but I didn't lose anything either. With Nathan Lane in it, I mean, too. I mean, who else? I mean, I've always wanted to see that. I saw the original. Ah, the, the Gene Wilder one, yes. You know? The and original's I've good. Always, it's very good, but I really have never seen the Matthew Broderick one and always have wanted to. So there, right. there's something on my list. Yes, you need to add that to your list, and you need to add Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, you know, I want. I, okay, I kind of halfway lied. I I watched like the first twenty minutes of that movie when I was younger, and I have to tell you, I turned it off. So, are you are you going to disown me now? Dear listeners, I have to claim her as my mother. I mean, she did birth me, but. Um... I don't claim her as my mother in movies, okay? Um, although she did shape a lot of what I watch nowadays, so I guess I still have to claim her. All right, so now that we've answered that question, let's dive into the meat and potatoes of this episode and actually talk about the movie we're here to talk about, War Games. So just some fun facts about War Games before we really get into our categories here. So it was released on June 3rd, 1983. Wasn't even born yet, you know, but still one of my favorite movies. Think of how old your brother was. Uh, just a little over a year. No. He was born in 1982, March of 1982. This came out in June of 83. He was a little over a year. Oh, 83. That's right. He was a little over a year old. That's right. Yes. It was 83. Yes. So. 1983. Anyway, yes. yes I, we, uh, I went to see this movie at the movie house. Oh, so you contributed to its uh you contributed to its six million dollar domestic opening weekend. Or did you go on opening I, weekend? I, I I think it was pretty much close to that. It was when I was married to Robert's dad and we made a date night and we took Robert over to his grandma Stella's and we went to see it and we couldn't stop talking about it all the way home. Oh, a cute little date between you and Gordon. Then that's so nice. <laughs> so it had a budget of $12 million estimated. Opening weekend, it did $6.2 million. Grossed $79.5 million domestically. And it also listed that as its worldwide gross, which I'm going to assume was actually a little bit higher. But who am I to argue with IMDb? It's, this was considered a success in 1983. This was a successful box office movie. And it was very well received by critics. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 93% critic rating and is certified fresh, which means a majority of the critics had nothing but great things to say about it. And from the audience standpoint, it carries a 76%, which is an incredible number from audience members alike, who, you know, people who have grown up watching this movie. So just to give you an idea of why I say 76% is a great number, that's out of 52,656 ratings from viewers so holy holy moly yeah over three quarters of the people who rated this movie said it's awesome <laughs> so and i'm one of those people well, so it was. well and let's face it i mean we're kind of getting into it here it, it was innovative for its time very it was very ahead of its time it 
it opened up the eyes of a lot of people as to the amazing things that technology can do where computers were going to be headed moving forward into the future. It also opened up the eyes to the vulnerabilities of technology, mm. allowing computers to have these types of controls and ins and outs, but then the security of making sure people can't get into these computers to manipulate. And we'll get into that a little bit more because even in well, I was 2020, say, I have a good, I have a good statement about that. You know, they do you, that movie actually um, impacted the number of uh, hackers. In yes. other words, that went up exponentially you know, after that movie came out because people were thinking, huh, didn't know I could do that. Not going to lie. You it's know? a very intriguing movie, especially from anybody who has that inkling or that kind of uh, predisposition to utilize technology. I mean, hackers are generally people who, and not, not to sit there and completely do a profile here because we all know that profiles always aren't 100% accurate but hackers are people who are very easily manipulative uh, but also very engaging people they know how to work the system and they will they are very diligent and they do not give up and these are all things that uh, Matthew Broderick's character were in the film and many more so and I, the funny thing is, all he wanted to do was play a game. All he wanted to do. <laughs> what, what does any kid want to do? They just want to play a game. They just want to have play fun, you know. But, play uh, a game. Play a game. Uh, but to go back to those uh, reviews real quick from Rotten Tomatoes. So one of, one of the things I always like to do is I always like to pick one or two uh, critic reviews to kind of throw out there. So the first one I want to put out is from Michael Booth at the Denver Post. He said, and I quote, as tense and effective now as it was 25 years ago, the worry back then was more about Soviet missiles than about credit card identity theft, but good filmmaking techniques haven't changed. So, Exactly. He's talking exactly. about how our, our fears have changed, although they really haven't changed. If you We're not going to get political here, but you know we're still worried about our influence from Russia and things like that, and uh, we're still... But we're more worried about the things that affect us on a more personal level, our, our identities, credit card theft, things like that. I have been a victim of uh, credit card theft I don't know how many times uh, in my 34 years of being on this earth, but it happens. And that's the miracle and danger of computer technology. And this movie really helped capture that. And then the other person I really want to talk about is Roger Ebert, of course, from the Chicago Sun-Times. He says, and I quote, as a premise for a thriller, this is a masterstroke, end quote. And I've never thought of this movie as a thriller. Oh, well, how could you not? I thought... There's, there's I just, a car chase scene. Well, not a car chase scene, but the car, the Jeep going fast. And, and they're running to try to get to Professor What's-His-Names in a hurry. And, I mean, it's a thriller. Everything's got to happen within a certain amount of time. Uh, but, I mean, that, that describes the basic premise of an action movie, too. I mean, so I well, never really thought of this as a thriller. But then when I read that and then I went back and rewatched the movie, I can definitely see how this is that kind of intense. Th from the moment it plunges you into the movie, it's very, it, it is thrilling. It's very edge of your seat. Like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And it leaves you 
guessing at every turn and then with the big finale at the end you get that beautiful resolution that you should get after a very thrilling adventure i mean exactly because you know even though in the beginning as it's starting out slowly and when he's looking at the the different games he can play on that computer you know in your brain that that's not really a game no per se well i mean in but all, you, all the lead up shows still, you that the thrilling part of it is you you even though you know it you're sitting there on the edge of your seat what's he going to choose well, which you, one is will it be you and, you want him to and, choose global nuclear thermal thermal no yes exactly and you and, know it's just you want him to choose that there's no doubt but you know there's nothing in the script that said he had to well, except the script did say he had to. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. uh, and then the last review from a critic that I want to talk about is from James uh, Berardinelli from Real Reviews or Real Views, not Real Reviews. He says, and I quote, to me, the most enjoyable aspect of war games is when David is at work on his computer system. There's something wonderfully nostalgic about watching a guy play with such antiquated machinery and recognize that it was once considered state of the art. End quote. So here uh, I don't I'm again I'm not going to dive so into true. this uh quite yet but I can I feel that on so many levels considering some of the computer technology that you know not only you got to experience growing up but even like Robert and I got to experience when we were younger. I mean, I still remember DOS commands and stuff like that. It, uh, the IBM computer that used to sit uh, in the dining room at the one Meemaw's that your house. Grandpa, the one that your your uh, papa got for uh, uh, Mima Norris and your father. I used it to write letters, and your father used it mostly to do his schoolwork. Mm -hmm. And you played games on it. Yeah, uh, Winnie the Pooh game was my game. It was my jam. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so yeah, I mean, we once considered all of that state of the art technology. So there is something nostalgic. I mean, when I sat down and did the rewatch of this movie, I was just looking at all this equipment. Like, gosh, we really did think how this was the like the peak of technology. Oh, and how large of the equipment was, and how much of it took to just run. So little, actually. Yes, I, I, and now it takes. Go ahead. Now it takes so little to run so much. Absolutely, I got a lot of nostalgia also for the movie "The Computer Who Wore Tennis Shoes." So I haven't seen that movie in a hundred years, and I can remember when that first came out. Now I'm really dating myself. <laughs> you know, a very young <laughs> Kurt Russell setting up all those huge towers just to run one simple computer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, definitely a lot mm -hmm. of uh, nostalgia and memories that come in from that. All right. So now let's get to the big, important question of this episode. How has War Games, if it has, in fact, done any of this for you, impacted your life or influenced your love of other movies? Go. Well, it has impacted in my life because, first of all, I found it extremely entertaining and there's nothing more that I like than entertainment. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think it impacted my life because I never would have thought of computers in any form or fashion, probably much 
especially in the capacity of how they how far you could go with them and what they could be used for. And even as time has evolved and I have gotten older and we won't say how old, but, you know, and then I have watched the development. It was like, wow, I can think back to a million things, little things in this movie that, you know, you would go, oh, they kind of predicted that, you know, oh, it was always there. We just needed a little more technology, you know. So it, it makes you think, I personally, I think, when I'm working on the computer today and trying to wind my way through it without having to call you or Aunt Kathy on how <laughs> to do something, that it, it, I think back on this movie. So it's kind of impacted my life that way. Um, and you think of what is, what was then and what is now. So I would think that's the biggest way it's impacted my life. What about you? I like that answer. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> the most obvious impact on my life, well, not obvious to the people listening, so that's why I'm about to say this, but for you, I think the most obvious impact on my life is the fact that this is a movie that has a special connection between me and you. I, I remember the late nights that we would stay up and we would you would make scrambled eggs and the special toast and we would mm -hmm. sit there and we would watch this movie from beginning to end. And I, I can't even remember how many times, countless times we did this or, you know, it was my go-to movie when I stayed home sick or things like that. These, mm -hmm. this movie, this movie, is, I probably, you will, I think you and dad have claimed that E.T. is the first movie that I wore out. Oh, oh my God. But I'm pretty sure this is if the I first had... movie I wore out. No, no, no. I guarantee you it was Ichi and Home Alone, but this might become a third. It, it was a third. Uh, which is funny because no. I can't stand E.T. Yeah. E. now. I think it's awful. But uh, Really? Really, I can't watch it. Okay. You and I will have to talk later. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> So it's just, it holds, it holds a, such a special meaning for me because it's just one of those fond memories that I can look back on and just, you know, it's it's one of those nice memories, you know, and all the things that happen in life, all the crazy things that spread families apart over the years and stuff, uh, being growing up, having different life experiences. It's just always nice to be able to ground yourself back to something that was very simplistic yet meaningful, and that's what this movie is for me. I mean, you you brought it up before we even started recording. You asked if I had made scrambled eggs and toast. I'm just like, why the heck didn't I think of that? <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a whole because lot of time because I got home soaking wet from the rain, changed, grabbed like some popcorn real quick to eat, and then here I am. But Well, you know, I really thought about bringing my own scrambled eggs and toast and crunching on it. But no, uh, anyway, it was just a special – we each have special things with our children, and each child may be a different thing, you know, so that's sort of – was I can look back on this every time I see this movie with such fondness and think this was one of Jeffrey's and my special times together that we had the mother-son bond of, of doing something and watching something we both enjoyed immensely. So, you know, it will always have an impact in my life that way too, if you want to think about it that way. There you, you know? go. There you go. And as far as influencing my love for other movies, I mean, eh, 
I'm already a movie lover, so I mean, I don't think it really influenced my love for any other type of movie in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I like Matthew Broderick. I like Ali Sheedy. Actually, I like a majority of the actors that pop up throughout this whole film. So, I mean, it doesn't influence my love in that particular direction. But uh, I maybe... There is one aspect of the movie that I I do like and I enjoy it when it uh it pops up in other films is I always like the idea of the whole mountain like base, you know, base built into a mountain. You see it here, you see it in Stargate, you see it in Terminator uh which one was it? Terminator 3. I think it was 3. Terminator 3 did the whole base in the mountain type thing. I I like that. Uh, I don't know why it's such a strange thing to like, but I do. So, I don't know. No, there's just nothing strange about that at all. I mean, I think that it just, it it, it brings up other memories and it brings up other, you know, um, um, uh, every time you see something like that, you remember, you think of it because you, you saw it in... War games. War games. That's a great way of thinking so, about it. Yeah. And there was, they've used that, um, and I will find it in just a moment. They used that same opening for the, um, what you're talking about, NORAD there, Uh um, in another movie too. And where did I put that? They've used that tunnel um, in a couple of other movies, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? It was used in that. That was the movie. That was the movie. And it was also that used was in movie. Back to the Future 2 uh, during the famous tunnel sequence. Really? Yes. Huh. So it's the same same tunnel, but, you know, dressed up differently for each movie. But yeah, uh, okay. it was a reused tunnel. So, but the, the actual NORAD center, though, where they put the big screen in for, you know, Joshua and all that. Uh, was actually a set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, for security reasons, obviously, uh, the general public wouldn't be granted access well, to NORAD, so they couldn't go in. And and plus, you wouldn't want to recreate something and then show the no, world, they, what, this is what NORAD looks like, guys. No, but from what I understand, they did a pretty good job of doing that. Uh, well, And did you know go ahead. it was the most expensive set up to that point in movie history. Yes, I do remember reading that. And I also remember reading that the director did finally get to do a tour, or at least get to see pictures or something of tour- Nora. I don't know if he actually got to go or whatnot, uh, but he got to see what the command center inside Nora actually looks like, and he feels like the set that they built is much better. <laughs> yes, I did read that too. Yes, yes. And uh, I don't know, but of course he had to make it a little different. He had to make it more more special okay because it's gonna be in a movie well yeah i mean you always so, you always you want know. to spruce it up like robert and i talked about this during our armageddon episode where um mission control there at uh johnson space center why is it all black you know why why is it so dark in there why is it not lit up like you always see a mission control center uh like in apollo 13 or any other space movie but it's something that's done just for the effect of the movie so the same idea is going to go here for the nor norad command center that they built for the movie that uh you're going to want to sp- you're going to want to spice it up you're going to want to make it look extravagant you're going to want 
you want your eyes to be darting all around that room trying to gather as much information as you can. So that's just brilliant set design. Yes. Whoever did the set designs did a marvelous job. So who is the director of this movie? I know the answer, but do you without looking at your notes? I didn't write down the director because it's somebody I didn't. It's a name I didn't recognize. So go ahead. (gasps) Enlighten me. Neither did I. But you'll never believe what he's done. His name is John Badham. B-A-D-H-A-M. Do you know he made Short Circuit? Oh, really? Yes. He made Saturday Night Fever, his only Oscar-nominated movie. Um, Hey, you know, it's not the greatest movie in the world, but some great music came from it. Okay. So, but do you know, most of his work was in... um, TV. He's done episodes of Supernatural, Heroes, um, oh, uh, Twelve Monkeys, Night, the old series that was on in the eighties, I do believe. Night Gallery. I mean, a lot of his stuff was mainly. Uh, it looks like from everything that I read about him, was uh, a lot of TV stuff. I. I it, I wonder, if, did he just give up on movies? <laughs> or what? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a big difference between, you know, being involved in a TV show and being involved in a movie and stuff like that. And I guess, you know, some directors either just, they like it or they hate it. But, you know, maybe uh, being being behind war games and short circuit and stuff like that, those are, those are brilliant movies just far ahead of their times. But uh, maybe just that kind of work didn't translate well when as movies progressed, but he probably enjoyed the be. TV work a lot more. Yeah. I mean, he really did. And you know, that is the third, uh, well, he had Ali Sheedy in three movies, three of his movies, short circuit, um, war games, and a movie called made to order, which is a funny movie. It's an, and I'm not a big fan of Ali Sheedy, but I like it. It's funny. I remember that it's movie. It's a little comedy. It is, it is very funny. And I didn't realize that mm-hmm. he was behind that one, too. So, mm-hmm. See, Interesting. you See? learned something new today. See, I'm glad I didn't write anything down about him because you just schooled me on something. So, congratulations. Ah, well, I should, shouldn't I? I am your mother. Uh-huh. No, I'm just <laughs> You can cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let's talk about this cast because it is absolutely a brilliant cast. Uh, just, And it's going to be a lot of faces that you may recognize that only appear for a short amount of time. But let's really talk about um, the main people you're going to see. So you've obviously got Matthew Broderick in the role of David. He plays our computer hacker who is uh, hacking into the Whopper at NORAD, which I've got thoughts on later. But... um. Matthew Broderick has had quite the career in his life. I invite you, Mom, to sit down and watch some <laughs> Matthew Broderick movies, Mom. They're not all hits, but they're not all flops either. I, I, to me, his biggest claim to fame is married to Sarah Jessica Parker. <sighs> if you want to call that a claim to fame, sure. Okay. okay. Um, oh, and he dated uh, What's-Her-Face. Um from Dirty Dancing, 
I can't think of her name all of a sudden. Jennifer Gray. Jennifer Gray, Jennifer yeah. Gray. They, they dated for a I while. I had forgotten about that. I did. I do remember that, and I'd forgotten about yes. that. Uh, you've got Ali Sheedy uh, in her role mm-hmm. as a... Uh, why can't I think of her name all of a sudden? Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. Um, Ali Sheedy in the role of Jennifer. I know you're not a huge fan of her, but again, she's been... No, and you know, you're going to hate me for what I'm about to say. I actually almost thought she was miscast. Okay, well, we could talk about that. Who would you have rather seen? I'm not in this really role? sure. I'm not really sure, but I thought from for an Ali Sheedy performance, it felt sort of flat. Hmm. I mean, you look at her in movies such as Saint Elmo's Fire, and you look at her in um, oh, what's the other one we mentioned earlier? Short Circuit. <laughs> No, besides short circuit. Oh, uh, um, which she was adorable. No, no. Uh, Breakfast Club. Oh, Breakfast Club. Thank you. Um, Breakfast Club, where she was just phenomenal without even being over the top. I mean, her character, the way she just eased in that character. I just maybe it wasn't. Maybe I miscast is a bad word. Maybe her the, her performance this time fell flat to me as opposed to other Ali Sheedy movies. Well, all right. So you get you got to give Okay, I can I can see where you're coming from there, but you've got to also remember that this is one of her first major movie roles. I mean, she's only been she had only been acting since 1981 in random episodes of random TV shows. Uh looking through her quick resume, uh the only there's only two shows on there that I recognize from a resume that she was in. Uh, 1982, she was in an episode of St. Elsewhere. And then in 1983, she was in three episodes oh. of Hill Street Blues. And then in 1980... I love St. Elsewhere. It's a good show. Uh, in 1983, she was in this movie, Bad Boys, which I had never even heard of. And then all of a sudden, she's in War Games. So this is her first, like, I'll call this her first major movie performance. So maybe she's still finding herself. Well, okay, I'll give you that because I had not realized that that was really her her first bigger bigger performance. Yeah, Breakfast Club didn't come so. until 1985. St. Elmo's Fire was also 1985. So, I mean, Short Circuit was 1986. So, I, by then, I guess she had started really finding who she was and seasoning herself as an actress. And Made to Order was 1987. Um so and yeah, so it, it just it just could be one of those things where she she may have fell off in that because maybe she was she was off. Um, but I mean, also thinking back to 1982 and 83, I'm guessing 82 when this movie was really being filmed, like whether actress would you pluck her from and put like put in there? Mm. You know, I really, really, really glad you mentioned that the breakfast club had, uh, club had come after for some reason i was thinking it was before hmm yep. but you are correct mr norris two years two points later. for you yep. hmm she doesn't seem to have done much over in the la- last um many years like uh, a lot of her compadres like who grew up in the brat pack with her such as Demi Moore and Amelia Estevez, uh, <clears throat> Estevez 
or whatever his name is, uh, Charlie Sheen, all them, you know? Well, uh, um, oh, <clears throat> Charlie Sheen, you know, I'm, we're not exactly upset that we're not seeing much of him anymore. But, well, um, you know, Emilio Estevez, he's kind of fallen off the map. He pops up in the most random things here and there. I am excited for his he... Mighty Ducks uh, show on <laughs> Disney Plus coming out hopefully next year. Yes, um, me too. But Demi, Demi to Moore's even dropped off does... the map nowadays. She doesn't pop well, up at anything. Well, she's rich enough. <laughs> Emilio, he does a lot of producing and directing. Yes, I know. And I, that's he. Um, he also spends a lot of time. I don't know about now, but I know for a while he was doing a lot of work with his father, uh, Martin Sheen. Correct. So, uh, but I mean, all all these people of all the people from the like original Brat Pack, you know, are just. They're, they're there, you just got to be looking like Molly Ringwald. She'll pop up in the most random of things, and then she popped up on Riverdale. that show, Riverdale. Thank you. She popped up in Riverdale, and I love seeing her in Riverdale. The show got kind of weird for me, but me I too. I loved seeing her in Riverdale. It's very dark. But Ali Sheedy, I mean, she pops up in random things. The last thing she popped up in that w pe most people recognize is 2016's X-Men Apocalypse, and she had a very short role in it, like blink and you miss it type of role almost. Oh my gosh! I must have blinked. Yeah, uh, she played um, she played uh, Cyclops's teacher at the school. Oh, I, yeah, I must have blinked on that one because no, I do not remember that, and I've seen all the X Men movies. Hmm. Yes, interesting. So, I'm although it says also that Ali Sheedy was in a TV cash show from 1999 to 2005 but i've never heard of this show called intimate portrait uh no clue me neither <laughs> um so moving on anyway the next person that uh i want to talk about is dabney coleman in the role of the exactly. uh dabney coleman again what do you think what do you think of when you think of Dabney Coleman? I, I think of several things. Two main movies that come to mind when I think of him is I think of You've Got Mail, and I have also think of the Beverly Hillbillies. Well, I think of comedy, period. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a great comedian. He's got one of those, like, dry humors that you just gotta love. So him playing this role in this one, because he was, even when this movie came out, still very much a comedian actor him playing this role to me was sort of refreshing because it was not a comedic role which was a bit of a departure for uh dabney of course there's nothing bad to say about dabney coleman to me period no but i've i've that was thoroughly enjoyed seeing him in anything that i've seen him in uh you know you've got mail war games beverly hillbillies nine to five i mean who can forget that so okay Okay, let's try to forget that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> eh, sorry. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, the next actor uh, that I want to talk about, John Wood, who played the role of Professor Falcon. Uh, not really somebody that you're probably going to think of um, a lot, but he was in a lot of things. He has 118 mm -hmm. credits to his name. Uh, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. He did pass away mm. back in 2011. But uh, I know he's been. I guess if you're somebody my age, you probably wouldn't remember or recognize him from a lot of 
things. The only thing that really popped up within like the last few decades that kind of just struck my mind was uh, Chocolat. But even I barely remember that movie, so I don't even remember him being in that movie. Uh, he was, uh, but his part was fairly small in it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, yeah, you're right. A lot of people wouldn't even think of of, of him in that. But, um, but of course, I like period piece movies, and he's in, in An Ideal Husband he, with Minnie Driver and uh, uh, a few other British actors. And I just loved him in that. He's also in um, 1996's Jane Eyre as Mr. Brocklehurst. Cleanliness is next to so godliness. So and I do, that is my favorite version of Jane Eyre, too. He was in Shadowlands, too, with um, Anthony Hopkins and uh, Deborah Winger, the true story about C.S. Lewis. Yes, yes, he was. Yes, yes. Okay, now, I could be thinking wrong. Was he not in, maybe not. Was he not in what? Am I thinking? Wasn't he in Harry Potter? No. No. No, he was not. Okay. Who, like, what role are you thinking of? Mr. Ollivander. That's John Hurt. John Hurt. Woohoo, scratch all this out. You'll be plucking this part out of the Oh, no, I'm going to leave that part in. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, hey, you know, John, John... Yeah. yeah, John Hurt, John so Wood. Hurt, yeah. Wood. Yeah. John Hurt, John oh, Wood, okay. Natalie Wood, you know, just all these names. <laughs> just I'm going to throw them all out there. No, I do like him. Uh, he's 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 a great actor. He he I think he's done some fantastic roles in his, his time. Um, and please tell me you have seen Lady Hawk, though. No. OK, I'm, I'm going to have to school you again. You know, you want me to watch the producers and et cetera. You need to watch Lady Hawk. I will add it to my list of movies. Ah, true. Now, you know who a lot of people aren't going to know is who played the general. General Beringer. Mm -hmm. Barry Corbin. That's right. But see, Barry Corbin is such a classic actor. He can do comedy. He can do dramas he's been on tv series everything from northern exposure which he was just great in to he was on the the series one tree hill that ran from 2000 something to whatever he's been on a lot of tv shows throughout his uh mm-hmm. career i mean he's got 224 acting credits to his name because of the fact that he has appeared in all just these different shows throughout his uh career but you know he's also been in his fair share of movies urban cowboy in 1980 ah i forgot he was an urban cowboy saw that at the big screen too yeah that... yes i just think he's such a versatile actor barry corbett oh he was in that's right he was in no country for old men Ugh. a movie i do not wish to talk about thank you that's a movie because i, wish I to feel the same about. way Thank you. I feel the same way, but your father absolutely adores it. Well, dad's weird. So, oh, what can we say? Um, so, but yes, he's a good actor. He is a good actor. So, 
Yeah, he he'll be in a lot of he he's one of those faces. So again, yeah, you know, I said at the beginning here there are going to be a bunch of faces in this movie that people would like recognize, or, like they may have seen it in something, but they're not necessarily going to know who that actor mm-hmm. is. Uh, so moving on down the list and that mindset there. Uh, some of the people I want to highlight is that you have Michael Ensign, who plays General Beringer's aide. It's a face you recognize, but you may not actually know the person. Because that hmm. he's an actor that pops up in a lot of different things. Uh, Ghostbusters, Titanic. Mm. He's just, he's in a ton of things. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to think back. Titanic? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Maybe that was when I covered your eyes and closed my eyes during the... I don't think he no, no, was no, in no, that scene. <laughs> oh, well. I don't know why. Um, really? I really didn't realize he was... Yeah, I mean, even type- even to some of... I, I, I shouldn't say recent. These are almost 20 years old. But uh, he's done movies with uh, George Clooney, like Solaris or Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. He's been in those types of things. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, now that you mention it. One of the, one of the funniest... Uh, within the last 20 years, one of the funniest Steve Martin movies that I think he's ever done is Bringing Down the House with him and Quinn Latifah. He's in that movie as well. So, I mean, he just... He pops in and out of different things. Again, just one of those but faces. You're, you're more than likely not to remember his name, like you said, but you would remember the face. Exactly. Another case in point, James Tolkien. Do you even know what that name is? James Tolkien. James Tolkien. He's the uh, bald guy and back to the or the prince is he the principal of back to the future very good i'm actually very impressed that you were able to put two and two together there yes he is the bald guy in back to the future he's principal strickland but he's in this movie too but not everybody knows him by name i know him as bald guy heck it back in the last episode that i just did with robert i swore to god he was the guy who was in Empire Strikes Back as Lando's assistant, who was always wearing those weird ear things. But no, it's not the same guy. It's not the same guy. We went and checked. We fact-checked ourselves. Oh, well, good thing you fact-checked yourself. Indeed. (laughs) Uh, Other names. Oh, yeah. John Spencer, who played, uh, let's see, this is the Air Force, so that would have been Lieutenant. He was Lieutenant Jerry at the very beginning of the movie, who wouldn't turn his key. Oh, oh! A name you don't know, now, but a face you definitely recognize. Okay, but now that I see who you're talking about, I mean the guy who wouldn't turn his key. But no, I wouldn't have recognized the name offhand. Yeah, he's been in things such as The Rock. He was in The West Wing, um, The Negotiator with Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Jackson. Ooh, I do. Back before Kevin Spacey was exposed for the guy that he is. Um, Ooh, long before they had to fire him off House of Cards. Exactly. Uh, Very, the very, actually, if memory serves, this is the first movie role or one of the first movie roles that Michael Madsen did. He's the other guy who pointed the gun at John Spencer and said, Turn your key, sir. Okay, now, do you know who is also in this movie, but he's uncredited? I don't know. I didn't get down that far. Who? 
William H. Macy. Where? He was a NORAD officer, and I did not remember that until I watched the movie again last night. And I had to look at that twice because I was trying to really pay attention. And then I checked it today, and sure enough, William H. Macy, he was a NORAD officer, and he was uncredited in the original movie. But yes, he was in huh, I must keep looking away whenever he's on screen. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's it's brief. Ah, gotcha. You could you could have could have you know made the whole blink thing and you know missed him. Yeah. And then the last the last person I want to uh, highlight, I, I could spend all day talking about <coughs> people to highlight, but we're already like thirty something minutes into this, and we need to get this train a moving. Is Art Lafleur, who plays the guard uh... at the beginning of the movie, who lets the two officers in. What is he most well known for? Probably most recognized for from somebody for, um, like from my generation, the Sandlot. <laughs> yes, he's the babe and various. Yes, and he is just, you know, I mean, there's just he's in Field of Dreams. He's in a lot of different movies, you know, and it's just yeah, Art Lafleur. Art. A lot of people really would. A face, oh, oh, but not a name. All right, so I'm done talking. I'm done talking. Um, we've <laughs> covered all my points. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we've co- we've covered the cast. So now my next question is: So in this movie, who is your favorite actor or actress? I'm where you can pick one or the other, but who is your favorite actor or actress in this movie, and why? Well, I'm going to have to go with the obvious, Matthew Broderick. How come? Because he was he was just so perfectly geeky and nerdy. Um, even the way he walked, you know, kind of almost a little bit hump-shouldered. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And 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 just going around like he didn't have a clue. I mean, it to me for such a young person, an actor, for his time and everything, and long before he became totally famous, famous, you know, I, I just thought it, 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 it was, you believed him. You believed him that he was that guy. You could get into that character and that made the picture even more believable because he made you believe. I like that. That is my. I like that. Okay. Okay. And what about yours? the computer. I like the Whopper. No, I'm kidding. Um, It'll never be as good as Hal, but okay. (laughs) I'm going to... 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yes, yes. 2001 A Space Odyssey, that monstrosity of a movie. Um, Yes, the most boring movie ever put on the planet. It serves its purpose. Uh, It does. I'm going to have to honestly say that not Matthew Broderick, even though I love him in this movie, I think he's fantastic. And you brought up some very valid points as to why he should be a favorite. But I like I like Dabney Coleman. And I'm going to go back and remind you of what you said about him when we were talking about him in the cast. I love the fact that it's a complete... It's not a complete departure from what he's done before, but I mean, you do recognize him mainly from comedies and things like this. So you get the opportunity mm-hmm. to see him take on a serious role. And I love 
And of course, anybody who's ever been in the military loves somebody who pushes back against a high-ranking official. So that I love the back and forth between him and the general there at NORAD and the fact that he just doesn't put up with any crap. He's just like... No, st- you know, I'm, I'm, he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing that awful envelope to his detriment, but he pushes it. Exactly. But is that an envelope or an envelope? Envelope. <laughs> envelope. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I... All right. So let's. You'll have to explain <laughs> that to the people someday. Um. Let's dive into our favorite scenes or sequences. I'm gonna let. Ch- I always let the guests go first because if I go first, I end up steal somehow stealing everything they want to talk about. So go ahead. What are some of your favorite scenes or sequences in this film? Well, I think the Jeep scene is one of my favorites where they're 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 traveling so hard down that 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 driveway to the mountain, you know, down into the try to get to the tunnel and they crash through the gate and then they turn over and then you're they're running and then they're trying to get out of the jeep and then they're running and they're going hold the door oh and then you wonder how they're going to hold it you know a, a 20 250,000 pound door but okay nevertheless <laughs> and they're running and you know and that that is a great because you are sitting on the edge of your seat Thinking to yourself, yes, please hold the door. <laughs> but do you know that that accident was not, it was real too? They it wasn't supposed, the car wasn't supposed to turn over the Jeep. I did not know that. But they just kept it in. Yes. Well, that's exciting. So that, 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 I think that is my favorite, favorite one scene, actually. One of my favorite scenes. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and, and tell me one of yours so that I don't steal yours. <laughs> Uh, my all-time favorite scene in the, or sequence in this whole movie is the entire opening sequence. So I love the going down into the bunker. Uh, the all, It's just the routine that they're going through and then uh, going into the training exercise and the guy's not willing to turn his key. It's got this whole weird dynamic and it always makes me wonder if that's if that would actually happen. In uh, that scenario, I mean, you've got two people down there in these bunkers who are supposed to, on command, launch these nuclear weapons and not question it. They've gotten valid codes and everything. So that's part of that's one of the underlying themes in this whole movie is remove the human from the equation and you have less error. Well, no, that's not very true at all. You're just removing the emotion from the equation. Um and that's been a problem with everything in society these days. Uh, no jobs because robots are taking over. No jobs because computers are taking over. So that was very innovative. Indeed. Thinking but it, I, I, for that time. It always does make me wonder, like, so it, would that actually happen down there? I mean, would another officer point his gun at the other officer in refusal of turning a key? I imagine those guns were issued to stop somebody from fraudulently launching a nuclear weapon. But not to make them turn. Yeah, exactly. The so I yes. I love that whole thing and I guess that's another part of that whole thriller aspect of it because you're just kind of sitting there like how's this going to end? How's this going to end? How's this going to end? And then you find out he doesn't actually shoot the guy. So we mm-hmm. I'm just like 
I love that whole scene. And one of the things I also like about that scene, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your uh, your watches of the movie, is the sign that's hanging on the bulkhead as they're entering the silo, like their control center of the silo. Did you see that sign? I probably have, but re- refresh my memory. I mean, I just watched this, <laughs> but it just didn't dawn on me. It says there's a, an official sign on the bulkhead or wall for you non-military people uh, that reads, anyone caught urinating in this area will be discharged. No, I don't think I've caught that, honestly. So it, That's it raises another question. Do you have issues what? with people peeing on the wall? <laughs> Do they not have bathrooms down there? I mean, there's just so many questions that come to mind. It's such a random sign, but I'm sure it serves some sort of like inside joke purpose. I, I tried to do a little research oh, on it real quick, funny. the best I could during lunch today, but I couldn't find anything. Every time I Googled that exact quote from the sign, I kept getting penal codes and laws and stuff like that. And I'm just like, well, this isn't helpful. Oh, how funny. But uh, it. That no. sign cracks me up. It always does. So, um, oh, okay. I'm going to have now, you know what's going to happen. I'm going to go home and rewatch that one I, it's part. It's literally right at the beginning <laughs> of the movie as they're doing the change of the guards. You know, Do you see it? Well, now, see, aren't you glad I let you go? Because that was my second talking point was the turning of the key. So, you didn't really steal my thing because I let you go and have your turn but that was it's the human the humanness of it i could never be have worked in some place like that because i could have never turned the key all right so that 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 boils down to a nice philosophical question here so you say that you can't do that and you know in the back of your mind you want to you want to sit there and think like, oh my gosh, I don't think I could ever turn the key knowing that I'm about to launch a nuclear warhead that could potentially kill millions. But mm-hmm. in a military setting, you're you're supposed to remove your emotion from the equation. You are following the orders of those appointed over you. So if someone comes down and tells you that you have got to turn this key, you are authorized to launch this missile... You launch it. I mean, obviously, it's going to come with the emotional and philosophical consequences that uh, with doing something like that. And case in point, I can't go into too much detail about what I did in the Navy and things like that. But, you know, that's OK. I know. What you <laughs> did, and I won't say. But I mean, we <laughs> you got to think about the kind of stuff that you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, things happen. I thought about that. Things happened. I thought about that a lot. Missiles get launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, not nuclear missiles, but I mean, missiles get launched. Weapons get discharged on the orders. Torpedoes, of, Yeah, et on the orders of those yeah. appointed over you. So, but even still, uh, I think it does a really great job capturing that human emotion there. Whereas, even though most people are a, mo- a properly trained military official would have just done it, despite their emotional turmoil... There is that emotional turmoil, and I really, I really wish the movie kind of ex- like delved into that just a little bit more. Obviously, for time constraints, they couldn't. I agree. Because I really feel like that's something I that agree, should be but... should be talked about, should be explored. You are asking people to do things on the trust that decisions are properly being made, 
somewhere else and you don't get a say in that decision you or you are the pawn you are told to do something especially if you're in a bunker down there and you have absolutely you don't see anyone you can't see anyone and all of a sudden you get this alarm going off and turn your key and you get this code book out and blah 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 and you're thinking wait a minute this is how I'm getting an order to turn a key for a nuclear launch. There is policy. Yeah, if a, there's policy and procedure, and he wanted to break it, he's like, "Get me somebody on the line." I'm like, "Well, that's that's not how this. Ha- yeah, this is not I, an open discussion. If this were an actual warfare situ- situation scenario that we act, we're trying to retaliate, you don't have time to be sitting there getting somebody on the horn. Are you sure we're supposed to be doing this? You just do it." Well, I I understand what you're saying, but. I, I'd be the first person picking up the phone to, uh, excuse me, I need to talk to the president, please. <laughs> president would tell you you're fired as soon as he picked up the phone. And he would pro- he would say it in his best oh, well. Trump voice, you're fired. Or I, I can't do Trump, Ooh. I'm sorry. Ooh, yeah. um, oh, that's all right, I can't either. <laughs> do you have another <clears throat> sequence that you really like? Um, it just... I like what Ali Sheedy says to Professor, to John Wood, you know. Mm-hmm. Professor Falcon. Um, bef- Professor Falcon, when they're about to leave his uh, home, you know, is talks to him about what would he do. Uh, I mean, can he really turn a blind eye as, you know, would this be something that Joshua would, would want and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, she just talks to him with such truth to make him try to see. And of course, which they think they haven't gotten through to him. But, you know, um, it's just I think that is such a you need the movie's got a lot of good action and a lot of good sequences but you need the human side of things too, like we were just talking about. The human side of the opening sequence was him, his inability to turn the key. The human side as we're going towards the end is Professor Faulkner just finally learning that he needs to quit just burying his head in a sand, in the sand, mm-hmm. you know? So I thought that was just, a really good scene. Yes, again, playing at that whole human emotion thing, we're so quick to remove remove emotion from the equation, but then we got to remember how essential human emotion is. We are not machines, we are not robots. We are capable of we are capable of higher thinking. Uh, some computers might be able to outthink us, but we are capable of higher thinking, but we're also capable of reasoning with emotion. And some, again, and sometimes to detriment of um, the end result isn't exactly what you would be ideal, but you can't you can't keep removing the emotion, and so that's exactly what Ali Sheedy's character Jennifer was doing for Professor Falcon. She was bringing she was reintroducing the emo the proper emotion back. I mean, he was lost in the sadness of losing his son, losing his wife and everything like that. He had let that sadness overcome him to the point that he had shut down and became very almost emotionless and helping to Mm. remind him why he does what he does or why he did what he did was everything was for the sake of his son, 
his family for the betterment of humankind. And to completely ignore it would be to abandon everything that he had built. Yes. Now, speaking of Stephen Falcon, little bit of trivia here. Rumor has it that in 1979, when they were in the planning stages of making this movie, they had somebody completely and utterly different that they wanted to play that I part. had read that, and Who was quite it? honestly, sad that he died, but quite honestly, he would have been the wrong choice. I couldn't agree more, but we should tell the audience who that is. Uh, well, he would be John Lennon. That's true. And he died. He was murdered in December of 1980. Uh, you know, so that sort of... I agree, but I can kind of see why they were headed that direction, though, in a way. But you're right. He would have been totally wrong, be wrong for it. And I think after a few days of shooting, probably would have figured that out. And besides, Yoko Ono would have been there and tried to put herself all over the movie. So, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, then, and it would have broken up the movie, just like she did the Beatles. (laughs) We're not going to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to get into that. Um, No, okay. The other thing I really like is I, I love the ending. So I'm capping it off here. You know, it started off at the beginning. Uh, oh, I, I'm skipping over one. My bad. Um, the other thing I like is I really think every child can relate to liking this entire idea is being able to hack into the school's system and change grades. Mm. But I have some oh, thoughts on if this. I had done, if I had done that, my dear... Your grandmother would have never been mad at me in my life. Uh, I mean, personally, you know, I'm not trying to give myself a big head. I I wouldn't have never needed to go in and change my grades until 10th grade when I was going through my very big rebellious stage. But I always got good grades. Yeah. But uh, I feel like that's something that every, every kid can relate to, just being able to go in and manipulate something in their favor. And, but here's my issue with that. And I guess there are stupid people who would do this, but who in the hell writes their passwords down where anybody could see them? Well, back then, think about it. I guess they weren't concerned. They never thought the kids were smart enough to know about getting passwords or being able to get into things like that. Well, their ignorance cost them. Honestly, that's that's so true. Uh, So very true. Okay, so one thing, though, before we go to the total end, <laughs> what did you, did the, all those arcade games at the arcade bring up any memories, or did you ever go to an arcade? Uh, well, you know me, I'm not a gamer. I never no. really... I mean, I played arcade games. I brings up memories of going to the bowling alley there in Kerrville uh, while, like, you and Meemaw used to bowl in your mm-hmm. leagues and stuff like that. I remember playing Mortal, not Mortal Kombat, what I, oh, Street Fighter and all that kind of stuff there in that itty-bitty little arcade. Oh, I thought you were playing Tetris. No, I know. Huh. I played Tetris on the phone. But I don't remember playing it at the arcade, but I Interesting. No, no, no real yeah. memories of anything arcade related, except for you know, like if you want to talk about Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. I don't know. No. Okay. I, it does. I mean, only because I'm old school, Miss Pac Man, Pac Man, you know, et cetera. And 
but uh, I do believe, and I'm, I may be wrong on this, but I think Matthew Broderick had to train for two months to get those scenes filmed. I have a note. I have a note on that, actually. I think it's one of the first notes I wrote down. Yeah, so um, the studio had the Galaxian and Galaga arcade machines delivered to Matthew Broderick's home, where he practiced for two months mm -hmm. to prepare for just the arcade scene. Wow. And another sad thing is, real quick, um, Right before the movie wrapped up in 1982, when it was being filmed, you know, for its 83 release, um, uh, Matthew Broderick's father died. Yes, I do remember reading which that. Which must have been J James Broderick. And a lot of people don't know who he is, but he was a famous actor in his own right, too. Yeah, I don't um, know, but yeah, I do remember reading that. So, yeah, so that must have been a very sad time for him. All right, so let's run to the end of the movie. Well, I mean, the, we're not running to the end of the movie. It just happens to be one of my favorite I'm sequences. Uh, watching uh, the computer, a.k.a. Joshua, oh. play out um, the game uh, mm -hmm. Tic-Tac-Toe and Thermonuclear War at the same time. Just watching the screens flash, 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 flash. And I, I don't know why. It, well, actually, I know why. It, it's it's bright it's catchy, it's colorful, but then it's it builds that suspense again. You know, like what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But I hope you're I also hope you're also realizing what it's teaching. It's teaching you to lose. It's teaching you that there are acceptable scenarios where you do not win. But it's also teaching you futility. In other words, tic-tac-toe, there's just really no way to win that game unless somebody is really, really, really not paying attention to what they're doing. Do you, yes. you So Joshua couldn't learn to, he, it was like an exercise in futility for Joshua to try to learn tic-tac-toe, mm -hmm. right? So it, the lesson is in futility, too. Yeah. Um, um, and the fact that there are, you're right, certain times we have to realize that we're going to lose. And we have to teach, be responsible. Um, I'll think of the word I want in a minute. Um, teachers of our computers, because the, your computer is only as good as your human, uh, that this is part, a fact. You know, and to teach them the futility of certain things that and personally, that's what I think. No, you're absolutely right. It's the it's the Kobayashi Maru of war games. OK, have you been reading my Aunt Brenda's uh, 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 Facebook post? She used that word the other Kobayashi day. Kobayashi Maru. It's a Star Trek term. It's a yes, test. It's a no did. it's a no win scenario test to teach potential captains that it's okay not to win. Interesting. I didn't read the whole her whole post, but I thought what a strange Mom, word. You've seen Star Trek. <laughs> you've seen The Wrath of Khan. That's where you learn about the Kobayashi Maru. I'm going to say something and I'm sure you'll edit it. I dislike the cat uh, the Wrath of Khan. 
Let's. I like the number. I like number four, the humpbacks. Uh, all right, let's move on to quotable lines. Okay. Quotable Quotable line. So with a movie like this, you really don't think there's a lot of great, like, quotable lines that stand out there. But there are some things that... Uh, Hold the door! Hold the door! Yeah, you know, something like that. It's, it's simple, but it's effective, and it's, it jogs your memory back to this movie. And one of the very first things that um, I think of is... Uh, Joshua, or the Whopper, or the computer, whatever you want to call him. Uh, let's just call him. Let's Joshua. just call him Joshua. Uh, one of the lines he says, going back to what we were just talking about here about that exercise in futility and learning to accept that it's okay to lose. Joshua says, "The only winning move is not to play." Love that line. And it, it, it seems like such a throwaway line, especially after everything that said, you know, I mean, not a throwaway line, but it seems like a line that just has that one meaning like, okay, he just got done going through all the possible outcomes for global thermonuclear warfare or war. I keep wanting to add fair to it. It's war. Um, he goes through all the outcomes and he comes to this realization that the only winning move is not to play, but it comes with that deeper realization is like, we shouldn't... <sighs> It's okay to run the scenario and it's okay to train for the idea that something may happen, but it's also okay not to react to every little thing that happens too. And that's the message that I got from it. We are so quick as a society to do a knee-jerk reaction to the things that happen to us that we end up playing out a scenario that doesn't, or putting ourselves onto a game board per se, that doesn't actually need to be played out. There are just times where we need to take that step back and realize this is not a game I should be playing. There's, It is okay to walk away. It is okay to sit there and say, I'm going to be the bigger man and not play. And that's where the winning actually comes in. So, And I really feel like, in a, especially in a theater of warfare, you've just got to accept the fact that not everything needs a retaliation. And not everything needs to be thought out so... What's the word I'm looking for? Meticulously. Ooh, good word. Yes. So that that's the hidden message I, I got that. from that just that one line. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And you said that very eloquently. And uh, wish I had thought of it myself. <laughs> what about uh, what about you? Any other lines? That... Um, no, because I well, you said that, and and like I said, I wish I had thought of that myself. I just. Uh, the movie is such an action movie that other than than that line you mentioned and then the whole Ali Sheedy's whole speech, I think that the rest of it, you just you're paying so much attention to what's going on around the lines and things yes. uh, that I do that more so than think about a line from War Game, you know, that, that, that's a very good point. Um, so, except for, hold the door, hold the well, door. I would like to offer up one more line, though, because this okay. one gives me very strong A Few Good Men vibes. And it's from General Beringer when he's talking about 
when they were uh, talking about the idea of removing men from the silos and replacing it with a machine, he goes, we've had men in those silos since before any of you guys were watching Howdy Doody. Now, I sleep pretty well knowing those boys are down there. So I get this whole Jack Nicholson thing going on in the back of my head. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. You'd be on that wall. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. That's just wild. Uh, that is that is a good thought. Yes, and uh, maybe someday we need to discuss that movie. Few good uh, now men. I want to sit down and watch a few good men. Speaking of Demi Moore, woo. Um, no, really, and doesn't she look good in that? She does look good in that. I mean, she still looks good, but she looked good in that movie. Um, oh. Come on, she's had work done. Everybody's had work done, Mom. It's Hollywood. Dolly Parton's like not even, <laughs> Dolly Parton's not even real anymore. She's gonna outlive us all because she's fake. But she's a great right. she's a great woman. She does a lot of charitable things. I love you, Dolly Parton. Um But uh let's, I was gonna say if that were true about her being so fake and not real and she would live forever, then uh Joan Rivers should have lived forever. <laughs> Very true. I, uh, Joan Rivers didn't do an upgrade to her like system or something like that. I don't know. Software upgrade, uh, software glitch. That's funny. Um, the next category is where we usually talk about like plot holes or movie mistakes. Quite honestly, I didn't really notice any. I mean, you could sit there and kind of nitpick little things. Like there were times where you heard audio, but lips weren't moving and stuff like that. Um, uh, or flashing, there. Were, I read something somewhere too, and this isn't even on my notes. Honest, uh, they were saying something about a light wasn't flashing correctly when the computer was doing something or another, and I thought, who the heck noticed? People sit there and they will uh, pick apart everything. So, like you, I kind of, I just kind of went and read through what other people have claimed to have spotted. And I wish to actually offer up a counterpoint to one of these mistakes. Someone claims they have caught, uh, which is when David Matthew Broderick is sitting in the waiting area to go talk to the principal or guidance counselor. I'm not mm -hmm. even sure who he's supposed to be talking to. And, you know, he leans I think over. It's the principal. It's the principal. Okay, he leans over to uh, look at the password list on the computer again. So, mm -hmm. somebody said that he shouldn't have gotten away with doing that because somebody was standing at the door, looking through the window, watching him. So I'm like, oh, okay, let me see. So I got to that scene and I was paying attention. First, I don't remember anything in that scene. Well, because like there was nothing in that scene, you don't see. Uh... Anybody's standing at the window watching him, and by the time he sits back down is when you finally see a shadow move in front of the window as the principal goes and opens the door. So guys, stop making up crap just because you want your information out there on IMDb. Oh, brother, really? I mean, I, I mean there are probably some minor plot holes and etc., and but it's such an action-packed movie, and the gist of it, it's a movie, after all. Yeah. There's going to be plot holes. Yeah, it's I not mean... totally truthful. It's, not, it's never going to be perfect, so you got to also just enjoy it for what it is. But there are some just glaringly... Exactly. There are movies out there with just some glaringly obvious plot holes that we like, like to, to rip apart. Like in Three Men... Yeah, well, like Three Men and a Baby with a cardboard 
person is behind us. I love, but I love the whole lore around that cardboard character. I mean, there are people out there in the world who are convinced that he is a spirit of a kid. I know, and I'm just, I love reading about that. And you know what? I'm glad that in all the releases they've done of that movie, they have never edited that out. Leave them in there, please. Well, Yes, please do. I, it just wouldn't you do you be looking for it. I and then you would just be mad. It'd be very disappointing. It's kind of like also, you know, uh, the Wizard of Oz, where they say you could always see the uh, like, if you pay attention very closely. No, there's nobody hanging in the background. Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, if you pay attention, you can see the people in the trees moving the trees around when like you're throwing the apples and stuff like that. I love seeing stuff like that. And you know what? That stuff doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. Mm. Kind of uh, adds to the charm of it as you've gotten older because you would not notice it when you were younger. No, no. These are things that adults or very savvy teenagers would point out. Indeed. But not children, you know. So, but oh, and you know, of course, who the uh, um, inspiration for Stephen Falcon was. Let me guess. Stephen Hawking. Ah. Uh, like that was a far-fetched thing. <laughs> Except Stephen Falcon okay. can walk around and talk normally. Um, yes. True. Theory of oh, Everything. Well, Great movie, movie guys. Theory of Everything Great. is a fantastic no, theory movie. Of rel- I thought it was Theory of Relativity. No, it's Theory of Everything. Is it? Yes, it is. What do I know? I don't know. Fantastic movie. Would I love to correct you? <laughs> Don't correct me. Uh, put, a, put aside your political opinions. Put aside your beliefs on anything. Just enjoy the movie for what it is. It's a beautiful movie. Um, oh, it is the theory of everything. Ha, oh, ha, 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 <laughs> ha. All right. So with War Games, bringing it back around to the subject at hand, <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rate this movie and why? I give it a, a good 10. Interesting. I give it a good 10. I give it a good 10 because not only was it entertaining, it, like we've talked about, had your emotional parts that need to be put in there. Um, it had a little bit of love in it. And, it, you know, it just had a, a good cast. I mean, it just had an overall, um, even with me thinking Ali Sheedy was not, at her best, even I still give it a 10 because it had an overall little of everything for everybody. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to be as generous as you. I'm going to give oh, it a nine. Yeah. Uh, and only because there is one glaring thing I've never liked about the movie. And it's actually from my next category here, the thing that I would change about this movie. I, when he goes to... When he goes to talk to his fellow computer nerds about uh, why he can't get into the system, what it means, and things like that, and he's learning about backdoors and stuff like that, I cannot stand that entire sequence. I understand the relevance of the sequence, and I wish they would have done it a different way, and the only reason I don't like it is because I felt like it had too many people in the sequence. Why did he need to talk to two different guys? Why did one of them have to be so freaking annoying? So do you think it's because you think there's too many people in the scene 
or the fact that they were terribly stereotypical with the characters, the one guy who talked with kind of a lisp and tossed off funny, and then the serious dude who's blowing all the others off and et cetera, or what? No, I like I said, I think it's just because there were there was too many people in the scene, and I really feel like that he could have discovered the whole idea of backdoors elsewhere. It's like the guy says in the scene, backdoors are not secrets. So he could have uh so Matthew Broderick's character could have David could have figured this out in any other way, shape, or form. So it's just a couple of minutes of the movie that I just never really liked. And then I didn't I didn't like the fact that the acting in it was just a little ridiculous. You know, again, the annoying character. Uh, I don't mind that he has a list, but you know, I've never liked that guy in any movie he's ever been in. Um, no, neither have I. And, and, and if I had to give a, a half a point off and to go to a nine and a half, that would, I would have to agree with you on that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, that's the only thing. That's the only, so. that's the only thing about this movie that I, I've never liked. Other than that, the movie's fine. I like it. Um, it's a little dated, but, still relevant for the times too i mean obviously so the relevant. technology has changed but the ideas of security and uh human emotion everything we've talked about already still relevant no matter what time period you're going to be in whether it's 2020 whether it's 3020 anything like that we're going to be worried about these types of things and we're going to be worried about how technology plays into these types of things so dated or not very relevant movie so that's why very. i give it a nine i Okay. Well, I'm glad. Hold that door. Hold the door. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there are some random thoughts about this movie that I would like to share that I wrote down. So the (laughs) first one being the name of the computer, the Whopper. All right. So I know they weren't trying to go for the whole, this whole Burger King. I was going to say, are you going to make a Burger King reference? But I mean, come on. I really feel like maybe there were had to have been some like secret backing from Burger King here. You know, call the computer the Whopper. It'll make everybody think of the Whopper. That was was back in the day where you didn't show um, if they were drinking a Coke, they would usually have some other name over it or something like that. Products were not shown the way products buy now for their product to be shown in a movie. Well, they were drinking a tab. They were drinking tab in the movie. But it's the there 1980s. Everybody things, drinks tab. Right. Everybody was drinking tab. That, that, that might be a little different, you know? But yeah, And it was a Coca-Cola product. Yeah. But I mean, so just like calling it the Whopper, and I, I know it's an acronym. Military loves their acronyms. But uh, just come on. Every time I hear it, all I think of is, Burger King, and I can't stand Burger King, so I just don't want to think of Burger King. Um, that makes two of us. Uh, we had already talked about the NORAD Command Center and how it was a uh, the most expensive set that it was ever constructed, and it was also up to date up to that movie, yeah, up of, to that up at that time. time. Mm-hmm. But uh, director John, here's where I made that note: John uh, Badham. I really mm-hmm. feel like we're screwing up his name, but it's probably something. No, I Badham. think it's. I think you pronounced it. 
Bottom. Notes that the actual NORAD command center isn't nearly as elaborate as the one in the movie, and he refers to the movie set as NORAD's wet dream of itself. Oh, 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 I did read that, and I probably left out that note because you told me to keep it clean. Oh, please. Um... <laughs> to heck with you, Jeffrey Norris. And then uh, the last thing, oh yeah, so uh, again, talking about the relevance of this. So this movie inspired Congress to create uh, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act of 1984. Uh, it was pushed forward by Representative Dan Glickman from uh, Kansas, and he opened the proceedings by saying, we are going to show about four minutes from the movie War Games, which outlines the problem fairly clearly. And then it's been decided that the House committee that he showed it to decided that War Games showed a realistic representation of the automatic dialing and access capabilities of the personal computer. So this, you talked about earlier about how it, I don't know if you want to say inspired, but it, I guess it did inspire people to look into hacking and maybe take up simplistic hacking. But it also opened the eyes to people that this is a vulnerable vul, blah, blah, blah. this is a vulnerable uh, why can't i say this word vulnerability 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 um vulnerability. that we need we need to discuss yes yes i agree and yes no, and it opened the eyes of both people the hackers and the <laughs> the uh, people who want to stop all that you know mm -hmm. um so, yeah, that's a great point. In fact, yeah. this film was shown to President Ronald Reagan uh, while he was at Camp David in the summer of 1983, and he reportedly loved it, but also took the onboard message about dangers of an outside influence affecting U.S. military via computer misuse. And in 1984, he started proposing a draft to make such mm -hmm. an act a criminal offense and for the military oh. to start investigating potential weaknesses as depicted in the movie. And... You know, the rest is history. Absolutely. So, it, so. those were the See, last this, of my notes. This movie has these, this movie has something for everyone. Not only in the real world historical sense, like we just you just talked about, but I mean the movie itself and everything else. You know, so you can't tell me that this movie is not. Oh, oh, oh! Excuse me. Uh, Robert, come get your dog. <laughs> Sorry, as Thor keeps jumping up on top of me. Um, now I forgot what I was saying. Okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter. But uh, It doesn't matter. Do you have any final thoughts to add to this movie, War Games? No, I really don't. But I am so very happy we got to talk about it. Uh, and I look forward to talking with you on many more movies. Indeed. So, guys, that does wrap up our talk on War Games. And oh, looking at my schedule, I've only got two episodes left this season before I close it out for 2020. So, gosh. I believe that. It's been a fun it's, year. It's... I can't believe it's already over. Uh, not fun, not, the, not fun with what's gone? happening out there in the world, but like fun for me in the show. So just to clarify. No, but you know what? The neat thing about this show, Jeff, is it's giving people who are staying home something to listen to, too. Absolutely. And it's introduced to, me to such know? an amazing community of podcasters 
and uh, just fellow creators out there who are all out there just sharing their love of movies or whatever you want to talk about. You know, I got my buddy Robbie out of, out of the Blank Podcast. He literally invites people on, and he just wants to have a conversation. There's no agenda. He doesn't want to interview anybody. He just wants to talk because he feels like people oh. have lost that whole connection of having a decent conversation. conversation? Um, I got my friends out at Porcelain Peak, you know, Anthony, John, Tone. They are talking about... Uh, not just horror, but like sci-fi related things. And they dive into movies, uh, real events and things like that. And they absolutely love what they're doing cool. out there. Uh, I got friends up in Canada, a podcast on Elm Street. I've got Mark and Brooke there. Mm -hmm. They literally just, just discuss horror movies and it is awesome. And I'm about to be, I've been on their show before. I've done a little spot on um, Porcelain Peak and I've also uh, been on... Uh, out of the blank podcast before, and I'm about to do another guest appearance on another horror show, uh, horror movie crew, and we're going to be talking about a really fun movie. So I love meeting all these new people and all the connections that I've made in 2020 has just been an absolutely, oh, I've been on another show. I forgot about that action action where we talked about broken arrow, a fabulous movie. Oh, oh, I love that movie. Flawed in many in ways, years. but such a fabulous movie. Oh, but who cares? Who cares? So is Robin Hood, but what's not to love about Morgan Freeman Indeed. or Alan Rickman? Indeed. I mean, Alan Rickman you know? was the best part of that movie, but Alan Rickman's the best part Amen. of almost every Brent movie he's in. So, I know. I love the community. God rest his soul. Oh, yes, absolutely. But I love the community that I have been plunged into in 2020, so I'm looking forward well, to what are, 2021 if, is going to offer. If you Google yourself, you Chuck goes to the movies. Yes. It does come up. I'm on Google. I'm on every single podcast platform that almost every single podcast a podcast platform that you can think of. I'm on yeah. Instagram, and I even have a little profile on IMDb. Thank you very much. You know. Oh my gosh, mommy, so proud. Indeed. All right. Indeed. <laughs> I think we've uh, All right. we've talked about this long enough. Uh, my family has just walked in the door, and I hear the crazy kids in the background. So I'm going to go ahead. And I bet they're staring at you so you can go get dinner. Indeed. So thank you for joining me on this adventure through War Games, Mom. I enjoyed it, my son. All right. And we'll be talking to you again. Absolutely. And for the rest of you out there, please remain safe. COVID is still happening. Mm -hmm. Theaters are probably still not open. So... Enjoy movies from the safety of your couch, and I will see you next time on Chuckos to the Movies.